Welcome to Language on Purpose with linguist, teacher, consultant, and veteran language learner, Mary Lynn Kinberg. Here's your host for today's show. Welcome, everyone. Normally, we talk on the show about language learning in the country where you are working, but not today. Whether you have a fixed date to travel overseas to your assignment or are stuck in your home country because of travel restrictions, visa issues, family, or funding challenges, the good news is you can still go global and boost your language learning. Joining us today to talk about global is an Anglican pastor with broad multicultural experience. I'm proud as a peacock to welcome to the show today my very own son, Jonathan Kinberg. Morning, Mom. Good morning. Jonathan, tell us where you live and what you are currently doing. Sure. I live in the Little Village neighborhood on the southwest side of Chicago. Uh, It's the largest Latino neighborhood in the Midwest of the United States. And I serve here as a pastor, a church planter, and a community member. What is your language and culture portfolio like? Well, it definitely helps to have two parents who are linguists and grown up uh, overseas. Uh, so I grew up speaking Spanish from first grade to sixth grade, went to a all Spanish-speaking school in, in Chile, in Temuco, in the south of Chile, where I learned Spanish fluently, which I use currently as well here in my work in Chicago. Then as a college student, I spent some time studying Arabic, spent four different summers in uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Israel, and Palestine, uh, studying Arabic, which I got pretty decent at, definitely conversational. And then after, uh, it's been, I don't know, almost 15 years, so I haven't used it a whole lot. So it's not pretty rusty right now, my Arabic. But more recently, in the last maybe four years, I've picked up Portuguese on about three or four trips to Brazil quite a lot there in your portfolio. And that's one reason why I'm having you on the show. (laughs) The word glocal. Before we apply the word to language learning, what exactly does glocal mean? It originated within the business context, correct? Uh, Sort of, yeah. It became popular in the business context. So it's a combination, of course, of the words globalization and localization or global and local actually originated as I was doing a little bit of research, originated in the agricultural world, referred originally to the adaptation of farming techniques to local conditions, at least according to Wikipedia, and was first actually adopted by the Japanese and then kind of became more popular than in the business world. There was an article in the 80s in Harvard Business Review and then kind of became more of a yeah, popular term. But yeah, the idea is... Um, that there's this blurring of boundaries between the local and the global. And that globalization isn't just a kind of a one-way street, but that interaction between what's happening around the world and what happens in very local settings. And that especially what we're talking about today in North America, and especially in large cities, we find both people groups and language groups from all over the world that are here in our, in our major cities in the U.S. How did you personally become interested in this global concept? 
I was studying intercultural studies at Wheaton College, doing my master's degree there. And a lot of the work that they prepare you for is global intercultural work. But I was kind of impatient to get started with that. I was at the time planning on moving to the Middle East when I was done, but I wanted to keep working on the Arabic that I was beginning to learn. I wanted to dive into other cultures uh, here and now, not just in the future. And so during my master's studies, I moved into a little apartment complex in the western suburbs of Chicago that had immigrants and refugees from all over the world, including Arabic speakers. And so through that, I began to realize, hey, I didn't have to take a plane or fly halfway across the world to dive in in a deep way or immerse myself in in that case, in Arabic, which I was hoping to learn that, that I could uh, practice Arabic with Arabic speakers and actually uh, dive in deep, but actually right here in my own neighborhood. You mentioned Arabic, and we'll get back to that later, but I really love your story about how you used a local strategy there in Chicago for learning Portuguese. Yeah. So I had a, a conference that I was helping to plan in Brazil for church leaders. And so I realized it would be helpful, of course, to speak Portuguese and that it wasn't going to be that difficult to learn after knowing Spanish. And so I had my first trip coming up. And so I wanted to at least get some basic Portuguese down before I arrived in Brazil for my 10-day trip. So I just kind of started looking around Facebook a little bit and found the Brazilians in Chicago Facebook group with about the time, maybe 10,000 people in the group or something. And so I just tried a little experiment and put a post there. I said, I'm a pastor traveling to Brazil to help with a conference. And I'd like to learn some Portuguese. Is there anybody who would be willing to help me out? And within three hours, I got about 30 replies, very gracious and kind and generous offers from people all around the city to help me. And most of them said, don't worry about payment. We just love to help you. One of the posts in particular caught my eye as I replied and got to know the background of the person who replied a little bit. It was a couple that was just actually moving. They weren't even in Chicago yet. They were moving that coming weekend and moving to an area of the city that was close to where I was. And so that seemed like it was going to be convenient for them and for me. And so somewhat doubtfully or with a bit of skepticism, I said, great. Well, I set up a time to meet with them. The going to be two days literally after they arrived in the U.S. They were here for a a medical study program. Um, And so thinking there's no way they're going to show up two days after literally moving to a new country for the first time to meet with a random stranger to help him learn uh, Portuguese. But sure enough, two days later after they arrived on the date and time we set, they actually literally walked into the church building where I was and I met them and started meeting with them for about once a week for a couple hours just to get some basics down before my first trip there. And I became good friends. And But it was, a, it was a helpful way to start learning more and hearing Portuguese from native speakers. I know sometimes when you're in that kind of a situation, one of their motivations for meeting with you is that they want to learn English. So how was that dynamic? Uh, yeah, actually wasn't a dynamic in this case. They definitely were excited to meet an American and to have a new American friend in a new city. And I think that was helpful for them too, in terms of just learning a little bit about how to navigate the culture here. But they actually spoke already good English and 
they were already in a graduate degree level program here. So that wasn't actually part of the motivation. Could you tell us some more local ways that you could locate local speakers? Sure. I mean, social media is a great place to start, depending on where you live, especially if you're close to a larger city in the U.S. But also, you know, there's small things like just trying to find a restaurant that might be from the uh, country or language groups that you're hoping to work with. It's one thing I did here in Chicago, which is go to Middle Eastern restaurants and try to get to know the owners. And through that, try to figure out where, where the local community or Arabic-speaking community uh, lived and done things like going to houses of worship, whether immigrant churches or I visited uh, mosques as well. And you find where the local grocery stores are. There's some things that can be helpful, but more from a data-driven perspective, such as just going to census records and seeing. Actually, often the, the local school system will have a more accurate data on the languages spoken by families or, or children in the public school system. So that can be a, pl- a way to see what language groups might be even in your immediate area. Things like refugee resettlement agencies, volunteering with them, asking them what people groups they may resettle, community centers, so forth. Yeah, Even something as simple as a park where people go and play soccer. Yeah, can be um, if you figure out where uh, where the neighborhood perhaps is where this group uh, lives or uh, yeah, where, where some of the, the meeting places or yeah, like a park or uh, where are the places that that group comes together. Yeah. It sounds like it would take a whole lot of courage to just show up in the types of places that you mentioned. Could you speak to that? Sure. I think it takes a lot less courage than it would be to fly halfway across the world in in that sense. So it's it's actually a good, perhaps a smaller step and courage builder that can help prepare you for the bigger leap overseas, as I've done both. But but yeah, it always, to step into a new and unknown environment takes courage for sure. And the story I shared took more courage perhaps from this uh, couple from Brazil to actually meet me and they and to move here to the U.S. Great courage to also share their own culture and language with, with a stranger in this case. But, but for sure, in my case, going to a mosque, a different uh, religious group. But those are all, those are little steps that can help prepare you for the bigger step of potentially um, moving overseas. or Well, some of the ideas that you've mentioned seem like they would only be available in urban settings, but how about rural settings? Yeah, so most major urban areas in the United States will have a pretty large diversity of people and language groups. So the large globalized cities like Dallas, Houston, Chicago, Los Angeles, even Charlotte, Atlanta will have of course, the larger diversity and you're going to be more likely to find people, especially if it's a smaller language group community. But throughout the U.S., even in rural areas, you'll find surprising things. You know, Somali community and some rural areas in Minnesota. Here in the Tri-Cities area, close to Chicago, uh, south of Illinois and uh, Iowa and uh, that area of the Tri-Cities, there's um, a large uh, Burmese community. I've encountered also Liberian community in that area. So patterns of migration and of demographic shifts in the United States are anything but uh, predictable. I just want to jump in here for a second to 
mention language exchange sites where you can find a speaking partner. I know some universities use Wesbeke. I don't know how you really pronounce that. Italki are some of the popular ones. Some cost and some are free. But Jonathan, I really like the idea of face-to-face in finding a situation where you can build relationships in a language context. Can you comment on using apps like Mango, Duolingo, Babbel, etc.? Uh, sure. Yeah, I've used Mango and Duolingo uh, just a little bit. I think mostly just to actually supplement or kind of refresh myself with vocab. I think, at least in my own personal experience, it helps vocab memorization. Kind of, that's a little something you can do when you're waiting for 15 minutes in the car for something or in between meetings. Or, But as a primary way of learning a language, I think my experience there they're not sufficient by any means. And it just requires a degree of uh, both immersion as well as actual conversation with real people that can't be supplemented by technology. But they can be helpful additional tools, at least in my experience. I used Mango and Duolingo just to kind of refresh or memorize some uh, Portuguese words that um, were different in Spanish, for example. Well, how about just taking a course? That's usually the default. Yeah, and courses can be helpful too. It depends a little bit on your language learning style, uh, how you just learn uh, in general. Some people need a little bit more formal um, uh, structure and order and uh, to help them learn. In my own case, um, courses have also been pretty pointless. You often end up hearing from non-native speakers way more. Uh, you're actually just listening a lot, not a lot of opportunity for actual conversation. Um, you know, rote memorization, things like that. So when I was learning Arabic in the Middle East, I started taking a class and also realized it was, it wasn't actually going to help me in, in speaking with real people. So I, I just ditched the class and found a language tutor that was way more helpful. But then again, it was just immersion and practicing with real people. And I forced myself to live with a family that didn't speak English uh, for three months, Palestinian family in the West Bank. And that uh, was, I can tell you, a thousand times more helpful than a class. We've talked so far about a global strategy on the front end, but could it also apply, say, after you've been in the country and are back home in your home country and want to keep up or build fluency before returning? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think in that sense, it's global and local. So it's not just one or the other. And there's a uh, a back and forth that can happen. Uh, the local can lead to the global, and the global can lead to the local. So, in my case, I met here in the north side of the city of Chicago after one of my first trips to the Middle East. I I met a Palestinian guy here, became a friend, but also I was able to practice Arabic with him, and then that led me to when I did a trip to the Middle East. He invited me to meet his family there, and so I was able to visit his family in the West Bank. It was about 15 years ago. And then, actually, in the last couple of years, uh, he's gotten married since here in the United States. And then his mom now has visited him here several times. And so I've spent time with him and his mom and his, some of his broader 
or more extended family here in the U.S. that I had actually met in the West Bank. So there's not necessarily a, a straight line and the, the global leads to the local, local leads to the global, um, especially in our highly globalized society and with how immigration works these days. I like how a global strategy can open doors on both ends. And also, I like that if you are starting to learn the language here in your home country, it can open doors to strong and important relationships when you actually do go overseas. And maybe something as important as an invitation to live and stay in in someone's home. Definitely, yeah. Is there, before I ask you about a super duper language or culture blooper, is there anything else that you would like to tell us about Glocal and, and why it's important? Yeah, I think it's a way of actually, it can be at least a way of learning how to extend the same kind of hospitality here in the United States as many of us have received or will receive as we visit other people's countries around the world. And so uh, it can actually lead to much more accurate and generous view of what actually immigration is, how our cities and neighborhoods are changing. And it can also lead to, I think, a richness of of relationships and of interdependence and mutuality, both here and there. And so realizing how connected our global world is, so we can, can practice and learn some of the same skills, not just language learning, but culture and hospitality and family that we would also then often be on the receiving end in other countries uh, as global workers. We're ready for the super duper language blooper. I know you've got three languages to choose from, so I'm anxious to hear your story. Yeah, it's not a super duper language blooper. Uh, I actually couldn't think of a lot of them. I, I can think of way more cultural bloopers than language bloopers. But here's a little one. I uh, remember when I was in Brazil, one of the trips ordering, I think it was actually a subway and trying to order my sandwich. And they were asking, you know, what things I wanted on my sandwich, uh, whether lettuce or tomato or what kind of meat, etc. And I was doing pretty good and pretty proud of myself, able to name the vegetables, etc. But what led to some confusion and frustration on both ends was that the words for yes and without are pretty similar, sim and sem, S-I-M and S-E-M. Sim is yes in Portuguese and sem is without. But uh, especially with a less than perfect or accurate accent and pronunciation, the person attending could not, <laughs> for the life of them, figure out if I was saying yes or without lettuce, tomato, etc. And I couldn't figure out what I was doing wrong and why why this was so complicated when I was just saying yes or no. <laughs> so, so how close did the sandwich actually turn out to what you were ordering? Well, I had a cultural interpreter, language interpreter with me, uh, one of my local hosts. So he he was able to uh, fix the situation and asked me point blank, do you want with or without? <laughs> so that fixed the problem. Well, that's really important to have a culture broker with you that can actually clear up some of your messes or mistakes. Sure. 
this is not exactly a blooper, but it's a, I know it was a very surprising cultural experience, one that you had in the West Bank when you were sitting at the table. Was it with your Palestinian friends, family when you went back, or can you tell us some of those details? Sure. Yeah, this is uh, my first trip to Bethlehem. Uh, this was before I had met my friend here in Chicago, so this is not connected with him. But I was a, I was volunteering at an English language learning center in Bethlehem in the West Bank, uh, working with Palestinians. And Palestinian culture is highly geared towards uh, hospitality and welcoming guests into their homes, and especially one of the ways that you honor teachers. In my case, I was I was an English teacher, that is to welcome you to their home. So one of my Actually, three of my students was a brother and two sisters. So they thanked me and honored me for the uh, help I've given them in English, invited me to their home to meet their extended family. And it's always kind of a big occasion. So I, I went and the uh, sort of patriarch of the family greeted me at the door, sort of the elder of the family, an uh, older grandfather, a Palestinian gentleman in traditional garb with the headdress and welcomed me and, and then invited me to sit at the table. I sat next to him and the rest of the family actually stood and kind of was watching. So that was a little bit new for me. But then uh, two huge platters of this rice and chicken dish came out and one was set before me and one before him next to me. First of all, I was asking myself, how in the world was I going to finish <laughs> all this food, which I knew was going to be delicious, but was a huge pile of food. But uh, what was more uh, surprising was before I could even begin eating, I'm pretty sure there must have been utensils, forks and knives and so forth. But before I could even grab a fork, he put his hands into my plate of food. <laughs> so that was somewhat surprising and strange, but he grabbed some of the chicken off my plate. And I assumed maybe he just liked my chicken. I don't know. But then even more surprising, he actually uh, brought it to my mouth. So fortunately, I was able to sort of uh, fight off the, I don't know, reflexes that would <laughs> fight that off. But I opened my mouth and he fed me by hand some of the chicken. And I realized just that was a way for him to honor me and uh, to show generous hospitality by literally feeding me hand to mouth. <laughs> it was just the first bite of food. And then, and then I was able to feed myself. But it was actually an yeah, unforgettable experience. What for me was uh, unusual traditions. Well, I was going to ask if that continued throughout the entire meal or if it was just the first bite. Yeah, uh, fortunately for me, it was just the first bite. So. Well, thank you for all your help today, Jonathan, and for being a stellar son. For sure. Thanks, Mom. A pleasure to be with you on your show here. Thanks so much for listening, everyone, and do join us next time.